Welcome, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Sheila Sipes. I'm with HCAS, and I am the chapter president for 2022. <laughs> Thanks. We want to thank our members and our sponsors uh, for your support and encourage you to use your sponsor benefits, of course. And we um, have, if you're not familiar with your sponsor benefits, they're on our chapter website, as well as you have our, your sponsor buddy. So I would like to recognize our new 2022 chapter board. For those in the room, if you can raise your hand. I can see you now. <laughs> so please reach out to them, find out the committee that they're on, get involved. They have some great things planned for this year. Lots of, lots of exciting things. Um, and as a reminder, if you have not renewed your membership for 2022, we hope that you change your yellow name tag to white. And please reach out to Beth Brower, our chapter admin, or go to the Cornet Global website. One of the great reasons, of course, to join is that we have the summit happening this year, November, in Chicago. It's back. And you know, for those that have attended it, there's great learning opportunities and networking and lessons, as well as plenty of entertainment. So um, we had scrolling earlier, but in case you didn't notice it, a few of the events that we're planning here, May 26th, we're going to be back here at Maggiano's, and the panel is on capital markets, where the bright spots are going forward. Registration is open on our website, and don't forget to use your sponsor code, and then as well as membership. In June, we're going to be planning an evening tour, a building tour, and networking, so those details are still um, getting worked out, but that will be posted on our website. And make sure that you're getting our emails. So um, they may be going to your spam, and hopefully they're not, but check that. And then also follow us on our social media for our Instagram and our LinkedIn. And last but definitely not least, mark your calendars for September 15th. That is our Cornet Classic Golf Outing. And make sure for the another benefit for being a sponsor, we you have tickets part of your level, and then you also get the first opportunity to buy additional tickets whole sitters and um, day of sponsorship. So I will now turn it over to our co-chair of programs, Teresa um, with EOI and introduce our panel. Great, thank you. Like Sheila said, my name is Teresa Broderick. I am the co-chair for the programs committee this year. Um, I work at Ernst & Young, where I'm part of a corporate real estate group um, specifically focus on workplace strategy. So I'm really excited to introduce our panel and this topic here today. Uh, you know, well-being and the work experience and employee experience is such um, an important conversation right now and really driving even more decisions than it did before the pandemic. So I think this will be really good. So Tracy Brower is here as our moderator today. Um, she is a PhD sociologist studying work-life fulfillment and happiness. Um, she's also the vice president of Workplace Insights at Steelcase and um, a writer. So she's the author of um, The Secrets to Happiness at Work and Bring Work to Life, as well as a contributor at Forbes.com and Fast Company. So welcome, Tracy. Next, we have Doug Dominic. He's with Chapman and Cutler, and he's the Director of Facilities 
and office services. So he oversees all of the office services, facilities, operations for all of Chapman's offices. Um, he manages procurement, um, reception and conferencing services, security and emergency preparedness, um, you know, environmental and sustainability initiatives, space planning, renovation and relocation, um, including some new space that opened here in Chicago uh, recently. And so we'll get some good stories um, from his experience doing that. And lastly, Heather Turner-Loth is the workplace uh, strategy and business development practice leader with Epstein Ewan Architects in Milwaukee. Um, she's also an expert contributor to the Wellness Council of Wisconsin, um, focusing on workplace environment policy and design. So with that, let's welcome the panel. with you. I was, uh, I was traveling in the south. All of us are northerners at the moment, right? We're all here together. I was traveling in the south and they taught me to say all y'all. So, um, so it's so good to see all y'all. Um, I know we've all been getting out a little bit, but I feel like there's still a novelty to it, this IRL, this in real life thing that we get to appreciate together. So thanks for coming out. Thanks for being here. Super looking forward to our conversations with Heather and with Doug. So we will start with just a couple of ideas about well-being to set the stage and provide us with some raw material. And then we will hear from the true experts who will give us their perspectives. So looking forward to that. All right, so one of the things we absolutely know is that well-being has become increasingly central. This is true across geographies globally, not just even nationally. This is true across industries and across company sizes. And we know this based on having talked to lots and lots of different um, corporate leaders, organization leaders of all kinds, and especially HR leaders. So we know that, that well-being is fundamental, partly because we've seen such a decline in overall well-being. There's been so much research about how our well-being has deteriorated um, during the pandemic. And so well-being is certainly here to stay as a priority for many of us. So that's what we're looking forward to uh, talking about today. So this is our model of well-being. You all have models in your minds and in your organizations as well. But I think one of the fundamental things about well-being is that it's so holistic, right? Like we want to think about it physically and cognitively and emotionally. And in fact, people have reported that their well-being, even cognitively, has been affected, right? Like there's one study by Qualtrics that came out and it found that 75% of people were experiencing social isolation which was perfectly correlated with their distance from coworkers and their distance from being together with others in a more normal uh, kind of way. And they were even having trouble juggling thoughts and remembering what day it was. Like how many of us have had trouble remembering what day it is? If we're honest, right, all of us. So um, anyway, this idea of cognitive and emotional and physical well-being is critical for us to think holistically. So what are the shifts in well-being? 
One of the things is that organizations are thinking about culture as a starting point for well-being. So how do we have a culture that really isn't just um, solving problems or coming up with programs to support well-being, but how do we think about well-being as being more systemic? And one of the things we're seeing is that well-being is becoming more central. Is anybody old enough to remember the debate about quality? You don't have to raise your hand if you are, but we used to talk about like whose job was quality? Was it the quality department's job? Does anybody remember that just a little bit? Is anybody old enough to remember that? Um, we have been in a similar situation in terms of well-being. Like maybe well-being is HR's responsibility. And more and more we're seeing that well-being is central it's being owned by all leaders. It's being owned much more strategically for the organization, and it's much more data-driven than it used to be. And so this plays into how do we think about designing work experiences that really foster, catalyze, and support and nurture well-being. So those are the directions we need to go. So here's some very cool data um, that we have found uh, in our research at Steelcase. When we look at what will compel people back to the work experience in the office, when we look at what they crave, they crave three things. We can invest in hundreds of things, right? But where do we really make the most um, investments that will pay off most significantly? And one of the things that people want from a well-being standpoint is stimulation and inspiration. We love our fuzzy slippers and our little dogs laying by our feet in our home offices um, or our kitchen islands, but our worlds have gotten really small. And so we crave stimulation and inspiration. We also crave connection with other people. And statistically, superficial connection, that quick conversation that you have with the barista or the person at Target when you're checking out, are really healthy and correlated with happiness and deeper level relationships are also super important to us. So this is about social fabric, social nurturance, social capital, and it is about the quick conversation we have at the water cooler about the weather or the train that uh, had difficulty this morning. So connection is another thing that will compel people to a work experience. And they crave leadership, right? When leadership is more present and accessible, that is correlated with more constructive, productive culture. And people want to rub elbows with leaders. People want that sense of being on the radar screen and visibility. When people are more satisfied with their work experience, they tend to be more connected to culture, more innovative, more likely to be retained, more engaged, and more productive. So there are really good reasons to pay attention to it. And people want certain things in the physical experience as well, right? They want great support for hybrid collaboration. They want pro or privacy in the office. Um, uh, it's a misnomer that everybody can focus perfectly at home and come to the office to do all their collaboration. We still need to support all kinds of work in the office because our work is so braided through the days. People want flexibility, they want reservability, and what did they want before the pandemic? More conference rooms. What do they want after the pandemic? More conference rooms. So we know there are, there are some things that just make us human at a fundamental level. All right, this is the most interesting part, right? What are the fundamental needs that we need to consider from a well-being standpoint? We all need a sense of belonging. We need to feel like we are with our people. We are seen, known, validated, and there are compassionate people around us. 
We absolutely need a sense of territory. We need a feeling that we have a place for ourselves and, frankly, for our stuff. We need predictability. We tend to shy away from things that are uncertain or ambiguous. And so we want a place to come that is more predictable. We can reserve it ahead of time, or we have a neighborhood that we know that we can come to as a home base for our day. And we crave to learn. When we're learning and stretching, that is significantly correlated with happiness. When we're pushing, when we're sweating, when we're trying things that are hard that we don't already know how to do. And when we're in the work environment, we get to learn from our colleagues in all kinds of ways. We get to volunteer for the project that might be outside of our comfort zone or our current department. And that learning opportunity is huge. And we want to matter, right? Like we all have an instinct to matter. So when we have work experiences that support all kinds of work and all kinds of performance, that is a really good idea in terms of our well-being. So when we find solutions that address these kinds of fundamental human needs, we're absolutely moving in the right direction toward well-being. And there's been some really interesting research on solutions that organizations are implementing. Everything from um, affinity groups on a new level to new tools and technologies to um, meetings that are set to end 10 minutes before the hour so we have time between meetings or organizations that are synchronizing Friday afternoons off so that we can take time away and not be deluged. So organizations are being very creative about solutions and Heather and Doug have lots more um, ideas about that as well. So what is the future of well-being? Is this a blip? Like, oh, we're going to look around in six months and go, yeah, that well-being thing. Actually not. Well-being is here to stay. Because we've seen a deterioration in well-being, because we tend to see more empathy, because we've all been through so much together, because well-being is very much on the radar screen and we're talking about it more explicitly, and people are using well-being as a criterion to decide whether they stay at an organization, whether they join an organization, whether they commit with their hearts and souls to an organization. And so those are some of the reasons that well-being is here to stay. So we are super looking forward to hearing the real scoop from Heather and Doug. Um, so thank you, thank you for letting us uh, take that minute to, uh, to give a little bit of background. So Heather and Doug, question for you. As we think about the definition of well-being, how are your organizations or how are your clients defining well-being? How are you thinking about that definition? Heather, I'll start with you if that's okay. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me here. I almost didn't get here. I've been on a train for three hours waiting to get here. So Heather's I'm, well-being has been yes, at stake. So, so she's been taking yoga I'm very breaths. grateful. My stress level is now, now lower. We're that thrilled I'm here. that you're here. We yes. are your people. So... Um, I think, you know, definition of well-being has changed drastically. I would agree that it's more holistic in nature. I look at, in our own organization, um, we really took kind of a time during the pandemic to look at how we were looking at well-being in our workplace. And we rolled in things like physical, which was already there, but the emotional, the financial, more of the holistic, how we're um, impacting the community. Um, I see this from our clients as well, that it's more of this holistic look. And, you know, it's not, not good enough anymore to just have the physical fitness facility. Um, it's really now how are we supporting some of those programmatic elements. Um, one thing I might highlight is I've got a client who has, a, when you think about like belonging in that conversation, um, they have a no one left out of the boardroom policy now since, mm. since the pandemic happened. 
Um, and you think about some of these global companies who were used to kind of operating either, you know, with the phone in the center of the table, or maybe they did have some video platforms. But, you know, sometimes people were in a room together. Sometimes people were, you know, remote. Their particular policy is no one left out of the boardroom. So if there is a video call, and let's say one person isn't a part of that meeting in the physical form, then everyone has to go seek out their own individual offices to host that video call so everyone can see each other's face. I just, I, I take that away, that that is a big difference. And when I think about well-being, I often put the lens of, like, how do we decrease stress as it pertains to well-being? And so being able to belong to, a, to an environment like that, I think, is a little bit different. Yeah, I love that, mm -hmm. feeling part of it. Yeah. Doug, you had some really great examples of thinking about defining well-being in different ways. Yeah, we uh, we look at it holistically as well. I think uh, Heather's uh, right on with that um, because we kind of wrap it in with our commitment to diversity, uh, ESG, sustainability goals. Um, we want an environment where everyone uh, can feel comfortable and welcomed. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we tried to, to create a built environment where, um, you know, we're sharing more views, um, we're making a more flexible HVAC system, um, that we're, you know, creating opportunities for people to have choice in where they want to work. And, and we think that, um, you know, that that all contributes to somebody's well-being. If you, if you feel like you have more agency uh, in your day, and uh, you feel like you're being listened to, um, and, and we, we definitely try to listen to our employees and, and partners, um, then uh, you're, gonna ha you're gonna have a better sense of well-being uh, and, and um, you know, feel responded to. I think it's like a, definitely like a cultural mindset of organizations. It's not just, like I mentioned before, the fitness room off to the side on an HR tour. It's a philosophy, I think, that companies are embracing more. Um, and even if you don't necessarily, let's say, have the demographic that utilizes a prayer room, I think it's more of a philosophy to put the prayer room in to say, this is how we're supporting well-being holistically, because culturally we believe in it. And so that's where I also see a little bit of a shift in terms of some of the clients that we're working with, looking at it from a broader perspective and culturally. Yeah, I, I, and I agree. And we had a really interesting opportunity because we moved during the pandemic and we had an opportunity to, to you know, program and design space uh, more attuned uh, to, you know, everyone's well-being. Um, so it, 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 you know, with our old uh, office space previous to the move, like you said, it, it kind of came down to, oh, here's your fitness center. And uh, we put a couch in this room over here so you can lay down if you feel like it. Um, and, you know, and, and, and so we really, you know, instead of doing that, um, you know, we really tried to, like, you know, integrate the whole the, the wellness into uh, our design. And I give a lot of credit to um, uh, Perkins and Will, who's here today, and ESD, who's here today, for, you know, uh, being uh, really outstanding in, um, you know, keeping that for, in the forefront of the design process. Yeah, it's such good points. I love the point that you all are making, too, that, like, these solutions to well-being are partly a means to an end, right? Like, like the, the quiet pod or the, um, you know, the additional studio for yoga or the prayer room are really important to meet people's needs at a fundamental level. 
and they send a message, right, that you're respecting and investing and attending to what people need most. So it's a really, really great point. It's that means to an end and an end in and of itself. Is there anything that makes this well-being challenge more difficult now? Like it, it feels like it feels like everything's a little more difficult now, right? Like we're we're uh, developing our um, social uh, our social inertia, our social momentum now. We're uh, we're feeling fatigued. We're feeling like we're having to re-enter and readjust. And um, through all of those challenges, what makes well-being challenging right now in a hybrid situation? Doug, can I start with you on that one? Well, yeah, well, being in a hybrid situation, um, you know, it is a little more challenging because I think um, you're, you're balancing um, people's desire for flexibility and their desire to have, like, their own particular space, right? So, so you know, we've really um, worked hard at trying to balance you know, the, the cost savings that comes with, you know, uh, hoteling um, or flexible workspace or hot desking, however you want to call it. We call it our agile work environment. Um, and so in our agile work environment, if you're, if you're not coming in more than three days a week, you're, you're expected to check out um, an office that is, is for basically anyone's use. And, um, you know, it has been hard to have those conversations with people about, well, you know, I know it's really nice to be able to come to the same spot every day. However, you're staying home basically every, every day at the moment. So, like, you know, so 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 let's look at wellness, like you know, from that perspective. I mean, like like we're not we're not trying to take things from you. You know, we're not trying to take your office from you. We're we're giving you flexibility, and so. Um, when we, when we, now when we start real estate initiatives in um, other cities, which we, we've started a couple, you know, we, we, we don't even start the conversation about cost savings in terms of like reduction of square footage or anything like that. The, you know, that's my job. I, got, I have to f figure out how to do that. But, but when I go out to the, to the attorneys and the staff there, the conversation is about what, what do you want? You know, how are, you know, how are we going to make this um, work for you, knowing that you're only coming in two days a week, but you're coming in five days a week? And so how do we make all of everyone, everyone feel like they're equally valued um, in this hybrid environment? Um, and, it's, and it's challenging. I mean, thus far, I, I think we've kind of thread the needle, more or less. I think, you know, we've, we've had relatively few complaints about um, the... Our, our version of uh, hoteling. Yeah, oh. such great points. Making people feel, I love what you're saying yeah. about how do we make people feel valued? How do we give everybody a voice? And oh my gosh, how do we balance that with the investments that we need to make? Heather, what do you think about this question? Well, I took down some notes while you were presenting your research and you had the hybrid collaboration, the enclosed areas and privacy as the top three. And when I think about you know supporting people's well-being and just the idea of when I come to the office, is my stress lower? Do I have the tools that I need and the support that I need to do my work effectively? Those three things are very interesting when we think about hybrid. And I've got a loud talker next to me at EUA. We have an open work environment. I love him to death. And if he was sitting here, I would still tell him, you're a loud talker. Yeah. But he takes the majority of his video calls at his desk. And so what I see some challenges with supporting well-being, and again, I often look at this through the context of how we're lowering people's stress levels 
it, he needs a place that he can go and talk. Now, we've got some enclaves, but we haven't really doubled down in our policies to be perfectly transparent on how do we use our work environment, how do we use those spaces that, in essence, before the pandemic, were really phone call spaces. Um, I think there's some challenges around that. I also would say that there's challenges around the, the marriage of the culture versus the new things that we're trying to provide to our employees. And are we giving them permission to use those things? And so if we still go into the mindset pre-pandemic that you know butts and seats equals productivity, or you know what, that fitness center's over there, but it's really only used after five, it, it's just, it, it's not a healthy marriage. And so we really have to work with leadership and whoever's kind of at that forefront to model the behaviors that it's okay to use these things and, you know, then trickle down to the employees. So those are maybe the two areas that I yeah. see as challenges right now. Such great points. If we build it, will they come? Will <laughs> yes. they have cultural permission right. Right. to use the spaces in some of those new ways? I, I mean, how many of us were putting ping pong tables in 10 years ago, right. hoping that we were going to attract all the right. new talent, but we never gave permission to the employees to use the ping pong tables. Precisely. So. Exactly. That's yes. a great It became point. storage units, quite frankly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Storage units. People are stuck on Talk more about, you were starting to point to this, Heather, is this idea of choice. Like, we know that grown-ups really appreciate choice, yeah. and grown-ups appreciate autonomy. And I'm curious, what are the ways that you are seeing clients and that you are offering choice in new ways? We know choice is utterly correlated with right. engagement and commitment and retention. So curious to start with you on that one about how are you demonstrating and providing choice yeah, I think a lot of, again, I think it's just an acceleration of what was maybe happening pre-pandemic, that we were giving our employees more choice and control. I think with clients where I saw a little bit of struggle was, again, I look at it from the people, place, technology, marriage. And so people is really the culture side of the equation, the behaviors that we model, the policies that we have in place. Then we have our place, and then we have our tech. And, you know, we can provide all these choices, but if we don't have the technology, let's say, to support like a plug-and-play model. I mean, we've all gotten used to that at home, you know, or maybe two screens on our desk at home plus our laptop. If those solutions are not in the work environment for our employees to come back to, that becomes challenging. It becomes stressful. And then, again, back to the behaviors or the cultural alignment. If we aren't necessarily providing those employees that freedom to make those choices, um, then it's going to fail. I also think giving employees the autonomy to flex spaces. I mean, where they can move things around or, you know, be able to knowledge share. I think their expectations, if they're coming back to the work environment, that's what they're looking for. So. Yeah, they have, we've all had more control at home, yeah. right? I can turn my volume up and down. I can hit my little heater there on the floor. And now I want that level of control. <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. The other thing you said that I really want to touch on is you said one of the ways that we, um, foster that cultural permission is by employees seeing modeling in the space, yeah. like leaders are using the space in new ways, or other employees or colleagues. That seems like a really important point in terms of how we yeah. make those changes. It's huge. And I think, you know, like when you were talking about the belonging, I think back to a story that um, CFO of Northwestern Mutual shared. 
And he traditionally had meetings in his conference room. And, you know, he would get information from his employees that way. Well, then, when they had built the tower in Milwaukee, they have kind of some more loungy areas. And so he started having meetings in those spaces and was able to get much deeper conversation, much deeper connection with his employees, which, again, I find fascinating when you think about that in context of belonging and how you connect with one another. And, again, that, that modeled behavior of leadership that we're going to have our typical meeting but it's going to be in a different setting, I think can open our world a little bit um, and really kind of create some of that connectivity. So, Yeah, for sure. Such great points. Mm -hmm. Doug, you were mentioning ways that you've given people more choice and control. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit more about additional examples of some of the ways you're thinking about choice and control. Well, uh, for our, our workforce are, uh, is primarily attorneys. And, and really, the... Um, uh, the way choice comes down for that is like really giving those attorneys permission to work remotely when they need to work remotely, like to give them an opportunity to have a little more life uh, balance in their life. Because you know, the, if you if any of you are familiar with the law firm world, it was going to be quite the grind there uh, in in the 2000s, where you know your you know your billable hours um, requirements were escalating, and you, you just felt like you needed to be in the office all the time. So your quality of life had deteriorated at that point. So um, really, the biggest deal was how do we get, how do we make it a a valid choice to work from home when you need to work from home or work remotely, wherever wherever that means for you. And so, and uh, to Heather's point, one of the, the key things there is is technology and integrating the technology into your built environment for so that the people in the office are making you know legitimate, valuable connections with their remote counterparts, right? So um, you know how do you build a, a Zoom room so that everybody's in the field of vision, right? Okay. So you don't have these lost voices. Um, how do you make it so that the, the screen um, is proportioned you know, well enough so that person um, is responded to appropriately? Because if they're a tiny little head, you're not going to respond to them you know, in, in the way they want to be responded to. So we spent a lot of time uh, designing the, the AV uh, in our space so that people, when they chose to work remotely, could zoom into the office and actually feel like they were participating in a, in a, in a valued and valid way. Um, interestingly, I, we, I also <coughs> was just dealing with the flip side. We gave this one group of employees too much choice. They were really mad. <laughs> they, they did, like, they're like, what do you mean you didn't give us a seat? Well, no, we gave you lots of seats, don't you see? Freedom, freedom. And, and they didn't like that. So, so, we, so we actually constrained their freedoms a little bit, and, and, and now they seem to be much happier that they've got. So, so I, I over-adjusted uh, for freedom with that particular class of employees. Um, I love that. That so. is so re relevant. That is so about yeah. humans and what we thrive right. on. Yeah. I love your statement that like we made it a valid choice for them. Here's something that's super interesting to me. The, um, there's some research on happiness that suggests when we're on vacation, we tend to be happier than when we're working. Isn't that shocking? Uh, shocking. Wow. <laughs> where, do, where do you get the funding to do that kind of research, right? Like, okay. But here, here's the punchline on that research. 
we're actually more happy when the people around us are also on vacation. So it's not just about time off, it's about synchronizing, it's about being together. There is a very powerful, um, uh, compelling nature of synchronized schedules. And so your point about guardrails is so interesting. That's like interesting. we have so many organizations we talk to who are saying, hey, come back if you want, not if you don't, come back when you want, whenever, however, right? Because we've got a talent revolution going on. 41% of people say they're gonna leave their current job and we are right to be concerned about people's response to that, right? And so we give so much freedom and choice, but that introduces friction for people because now I've got to figure out and synchronize my schedule with others. Because if I'm gonna make the commute, I want to do it on the day that Megan and Tim are there too. I don't want to like just make the commute for myself. So that synchronization, that ability to be together in the office when it's critical for the team, when it's critical for our collaboration, when it's critical for my work process, even if I'm working independently, and when I can be with my colleagues in meaningful ways, that is a big deal. And so I think this idea of like the dynamic tension between giving people plenty of freedom and meeting individual needs, but then also setting guardrails. Maybe it's leaders who are, you know, their departments work well together and frequently together and they have work adjacency and so they coordinate on the days that their teams are going to be in the office together. Or as an organization, we say it's going to be these certain days, right? Because from a well-being standpoint, what you've done is if you've helped people synchronize their schedules, well, you've elevated their happiness, but you've also removed some friction from their day because they don't have to think consciously about every meeting, every day, where am I going to be, what's going to work best. And so I love your point, Doug, about that. It's that right, it's that Goldilocks, right? It's the Goldilocks rule of enough guardrails that it removes friction, but enough freedom that people are feeling yeah. like they've got choice and control as grown-ups. So such great points. <laughs> Um, all right, so in just a, a um, minute or two, give us more of the examples of kind of physical environment. So we've talked about conceptually well-being, we've talked about choice and control, we've talked about how we think about well-being, and Doug, you've given us lots of great examples of changes in the physical environment. Heather, what would you add to that in terms of the physical experience of the workplace, and what are the ways that we support well-being there? Sure. I mean, again, if I, I always look at this through the lens of um, eliminating stress, you know, mm, and so nice. when I think about things like knowledge sharing environments, how are we creating spaces that enable people to knowledge share more freely? Um, if you have a highly innovative company, do you have places and do employees know how to use those places to innovate? Um, we were working with one client, they had 50% of their workforce was retirement eligible in the next three to five years. And so if you think about that knowledge transfer between generations and do you have the ability to seek out or to be exposed to the knowledge that needs to be transferred, if you don't, that's highly stressful and that can weigh on employees. I think some of the basics, like the fundamental things of are we providing focused areas um, to support employees. So let's say they do come in and we do have a policy that you know, employees have to be back to the work environment with just so much collaboration potentially going on. Do they have places where they can go focus? Have we fixed anything or done anything differently with the HVAC? Do the employees know that? Again, that's something that can really help eliminate some of that stress as they're coming back. Um, so those are just some of the initial thoughts. I mean, kind of high level, but I don't think that 
um, companies need to necessarily, what, what do we need to have to like support well-being today and draw all the employees back? It's like take a broader look at what, who are we culturally and what does that really, what really makes sense for where we're trying to go as an organization? You know, how are we best supporting our employees? And then kind of figure out what those solutions are. And they could be super easy. Could be a, you know, a recognition wall that employees can just, you know, go up to. So it doesn't have to be costly either. I love that. It's like mm -hmm. true north of the culture and where we're trying to go. Yeah. And what are the tactics and solutions that ladder up to that true mm -hmm. north? That's mm -hmm. so great. Doug, what would you add? What are the other things? You've given us so many great examples. Um, so I'm putting pressure on you. What else you got? <laughs> what um, else? It's like you're doing so many interesting things in the physical experience for people. Well, I. I, I guess it does boil down to control. I mean, I, you know, like um, it sounds like your uh, client base uh, probably has a, a lot more open workspace, mm -hmm. and then and then you need the focus rooms to get quality uh, of life. Uh, you know, but for us, I mean, we're we're a law firm, so like you know, everybody's kind of got a, a quiet place to go. But how do you you know how do you create those workspaces in such a way that um, you know they can customize it for the day that they're in there, right? So making sure. I mean, and some of this is, is fairly low-hanging fruit for a lot of you. We were moving from antiquated um, law firm space that was then by some uh, measures abysmal. Uh, and so like, you know, so we, you know, getting everybody height adjustable work surfaces was, you know, was huge. You know, people were so happy that they could get their work surface to where they wanted it to be. Um, HVAC that actually responded to um, requests for heating and cooling was, was you know, big deal, right? Um, so unfortunately, because we were, where we were coming from, like some of this is, is kind of basic, but I, I think the larger, um, I don't know, the larger theme is that, like, how, how do you give people the ability to manipulate their workspace in such a way that they can feel comfortable for that day that they're in the office or that week they're in the office, whatever it may be. I'd say in some of the law firms that we've worked with, I mean, there's definitely a heightened amount of transparency that maybe is in the new law yeah, firm offices than yeah. what had been there before. And again, yeah. I directly correlate that to well-being, whether that's letting additional light into the employee base yeah. to, again, if we go back to that knowledge yeah. sharing, are you allowing that young associate the permission to go and seek out advice from a senior associate, let's say, in a law firm? Um, the other yeah. thing that I forgot maybe to mention was just purpose and how we're mm -hmm. providing employees purpose and connection to like the overall organization's brand. And I think there are some undertones of well-being in that. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel prideful in where you work? And so again, if I think through, you know, we don't have unlimited budgets, but are there ways that we can infuse some branding elements and really correlate that to the culture of an organization? That's another way of supporting employees' well-being. Um, there's Oshkosh Corporation is one of our clients, and uh, Wilson Jones, who's the CEO, shared this story about how um, he would get letters from wives of men who were in the field who had been saved by the Humvees that they create, and they would share this with the engineers. And so if you think about that young engineer who worked on you know, a part of the Humvee and you saved a life. I mean, it's just a greater purpose, it doesn't take much. And so they've got a kind of a display wall where they display some of these letters. And wow. I mean, that story like touches my heart every time wow. I, I share it, but <laughs> it's just simple things like that, I think. Yeah, ours, it tugs our heart yeah. too, that's yeah. so great. We have, a, we have a customer that put in like a theater in the round, they're in the healthcare um, industry, and they have once a month, they have a patient come in 
who's been saved based on their technology and their solutions. And in this theater in the round, that patient talks about their experience. It's like, oh, like really big That's stuff. So cool. But we can do, we can demonstrate purpose even um, in e smaller ways and in ways that are critical to every single one of us in terms of the purpose that we fulfill every day. So key themes around well-being, right, are that it's utterly critical for us as a priority. It is strategic, but it's also holistic. And we can think about kind of a holistic work experience from the choices we give people about when they're in the office to the, um, to the ways that we support their work when they're in the office and how, the, how they can kind of be their full person and get as much fulfillment as possible when they're with us in the office. So this is super helpful. Here's our plan. We're gonna pause and take a few questions and then we're gonna redirect to um, Heather and Doug for like a last sentence each. So let me pause here and see what questions do you all have? This is the audience participation part of the program. So this is the, this is the moment. <laughs> and um, I think Teresa or someone, John maybe is gonna run with them. Somebody with running shoes is running with the mic. We are, uh, I think recording. So we'd love for you to be on mic when you have your questions. So questions from any of you. How are you thinking about well-being? How are you defining well-being? How are you challenged with well-being? Thoughts? Oh, go ahead. We've got someone in the back. Oh, good. We're going to give John a run. The first, first person. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I have a question about technology and how it relates to bringing that uh, remote worker into you know, an equitable, situ equitable situation in the office, which is a lot of buzz right now. Um, I don't know. I guess this is just maybe me, but is there a technology that you think actually levels that playing field or is it being in that room in person is always going to be an advantage for the person who's showing up to work? Are you guys having that kind of honest conversation with, you know, your law firm or the users that you work with that that's never really going to square necessarily? Or do you believe that technology is going to level that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Doug, you want to start out? I, I think we can level that. I, I'm, I'm optimistic. Um, I, don't, I don't know that we're there yet. Um, I do think that it takes, um, you know, a strong commitment to good design and having really well integrated um, AV technology so that, you know, you're, you're making people feel a part of the conversation. Um, and they, but you also touched on a really good uh, point there, I think, in your question, which is, you know, you're not going to solve all these problems in the built environment. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, what policies do you have? Like, have, are you partnering with the HR department, you know, to make sure that you have work from home policies that, you know, make people feel valued as part of the company when they're not in the office, right? So, so that is a challenge. Um, I, you know, we're working on that every day. It's, I don't know that it will ever be done. Um, but yeah, it's technology component is, you know, just really well thought out design, bringing people into the room so that they feel like they're there. And then having the attendant policies that give people you know, the, the valid choice of working remotely when they need to. Um, I, 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 but I'm optimistic. I think it can happen. Heather, what do you think? Boy, I don't have a lot to add to that other than um, there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution, mm -hmm. in my opinion, and even from department to department, mm -hmm. how they 
interact with their teams, um, that can be different. And so I think we really have to seek that out, you know, maybe on the design professional side, but then even, you know, culturally on, on the end user side of the equation of how do we really work and what does that look like? I love the mention of the policy because again, that client that I mentioned at the beginning with no one left out of the boardroom, are we having those conversations? So I think we have a long way to go. Um, I was at our Atlanta office a couple, about a month ago, and I took a tour of Interface's office there, and they had this insane boardroom with like all these different cameras and all these different screens, and I guess that whole solution was, and I, I need to dig a little deeper on that, because it was quite fascinating um, to be able to see everybody as they're sitting around that board table and every view of the room. Yeah, it's such a great point. And we know that technology won't solve it all by itself, right? It's got to be yeah. behavioral as well, how right. we're including people. All right, we have 30 seconds for one more super quick question. Go ahead, John. All right. I, thank you for that answer. That was great. I, I guess um, the other kind of gist of it was the we had a meeting just the other day where we had a remote employee, and we've invested a lot in technology to kind of square this. And we joked about how this person wasn't getting a time to talk because organically, when you're in a room with somebody, the flow of that conversation back and forth, interrupting, the technology can't get there unless that person's determined to be like, hey, hold on, I have something to say. You know, like they have to almost like blurt out to get noticed. Yeah. So I feel like there's a hump there that like, yeah, they're on the screen, they're in the room, they're hearing everything, but they choose autonomy to stay at home that day and they lose on their voice in that meeting. Yeah. yeah, it's a great point. And it has to do with the protocols, too. Like, what's our protocol for inviting somebody in who's remote? What's our protocol for pausing? What's our protocol for everybody with their screens on because the camera angle's terrible and you otherwise you can't see faces? All right, you all. Um, Deb, were you going to add something? I was just going to say, in a go-forward mode, yeah. <laughs> in a, a go-forward mode, we all are responsible for hosting. When yes. we're there to encourage pulling that person in yeah. and creating equality um, and equity wherever we can. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. I think there's just a really interesting human element too, right? Like our human instinct is to focus on what's in front of us immediately. Mm -hmm. And neurologically, we get in sync with people when we're face to face with them. And we get a hit of our feel good chemicals when we're face to face. And we want to include people wherever they're working, and we want to be inclusive even when people are distant. And so we've got a technology challenge, we've got a behavioral challenge, mm -hmm. and we've got a challenge to kind of figure out new norms of how we interact kind of at that human level. So interesting times, you all. All right, how about like one closing sentence? What are you most optimistic about related to the future of well-being and hybrid work, Doug? What am, I, what am I most optimistic about? Um, Just give us one sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Um, <laughs> There's a lot to be optimistic about. <laughs> you can do it. Uh, there's no cookie cutter approach, uh, but uh, you know, if, if, you're, if you're committed to it, you're going to, to figure out the ways to uh, create wellness in the uh, workplace. Yay, well said. Heather, you get one sentence for us. Oh boy, I'm never short, like, long, <laughs> usually long-winded, so. Um, I just get really excited because pre-pandemic, we were talking not one-size-fits-all in work, work solutions, and I think bringing well-being into that forces the conversation, period. Nice, well done. Okay. Yeah, thanks all, thanks you all. This is really, really great. 
this is our moment for a bright future, right? Like when things are upside down and inside out, it is the moment for us to reassess and reimagine, and we can absolutely create wonderful, bright futures, both for ourselves and for all the people that we affect kind of on a day-to-day -day basis. So thanks you all for being here. Really, really appreciate it. And come next month, too. Yes, all right. We'll thanks you, you all. <laughs> Thank you.